Welcome to the Inspired Women Podcast. I am your host, Megan Hall, academic, spouse, mom, and advocate for change. On this podcast, I hold space for women and non-binary individuals to share their stories. Warning, sometimes we chat about taboo topics and drop some F-bombs. Thank you for being here today and enjoy the episode. Hey everyone, today I'm here with Shannon. Shannon Peel has over 30 years experience in marketing, sales, advertising, and storytelling. Due to her insatiable curiosity and desire to learn new things, Shannon has a unique skill set enabling her to see how all the pieces of a brand story come together to guide an audience from brand awareness to brand advocacy. She recently published her interactive multimedia digital book called Brand Appeal, Brand Story in a Digital Age. Where can we get that? At marketappeal.com. Okay. I I, ha- I should have I should have your website. So I always try to put it in there in case people are listening and they're like, oh yeah, I want to grab that. Uh, so this book is filled with videos, podcast episodes, and downloadable workbooks to help small businesses define their brand, and create content to tell their stories. And a quick trigger warning before we get started, uh, suicide will most likely be mentioned in this podcast episode, so I just want to give everybody a heads up. So Shannon, thank you for coming on the podcast today. Hey, thanks for having me today. And yeah. to getting, you know, sharing my story and talking to you about this important topic. Yes. So I was telling you, it's been a while since I've recorded anything like this. So hopefully people can, hopefully I can keep it together. (laughs) Just get it together. and get it done. I'm like, oh, I'm so out of, I'm so rusty right now. Uh, So you get to be the one. Hey, that's okay. (laughs) So Shannon, I'd love for you to start your, your story off wherever you think is the right place to start I try not to put a point on it and say this is where you need to start because maybe you think it's more important to start earlier later whatever so you start no problem (laughs) I'm a storyteller so I know exactly where to start yay (laughs) so you know there was one day when right after my kids left the house because one day I had my daughter my son, his best friend, his girlfriend, and a bunch of other kids that would crash at my pad in my house. The next day I had no one. And there was an issue with me and my daughter and there was a bit of a fight. So um, I was in a really dark place already before they moved out. I mean, they they moved out because they were older. They were adults. They were ready to go out and leave the nest. This is not, we had a big fight and they left me. This is a natural progression for them. And, but I was already in a bad place. I, you know, I'd lost my second job. I I basically had lost everything I was scared to lose. And that was the last thing. My kids not living with me was the last thing that I was scared to lose. And I had just lost it. At that moment, I was so stressed. So with so much anxiety, I felt abandoned. You know, I mean, I didn't feel as, as abandoned when my, when my divorce happened, but I really felt abandoned when my kids grew up and moved out. The anxiety level was so high. I would close my eyes and I would see myself in a concentration camp because, well, probably because I'm a World War II buff, but the pain that I was going through 
was so acute. One day I was in my living room and, you know, I've been carrying around a lot of pain for a lot of years and it was so much emotional pain. It manifested in physical pain. And the doctors didn't know why I was always in so much pain. So they called it fibromyalgia and sent me on my way. And one day I, in the living room, I get up to go make some coffee. And all of a sudden, all the pain goes away. I'm at peace. It's like, it's not like I'm numb. It's just this, I'm completely at peace. I have clarity that I have never had. And my mind all of a sudden shows me a picture of some pills and says, that's the answer. That's what you need to do. Now, before I got to the kitchen, I was able to breathe, to take those few seconds, take those few minutes and really understand what was going on. And I don't think a lot of people do. They just in so much pain and then all of a sudden they're not in pain and it makes so much sense. And your brain really does make it seem like that is the answer. Mm -hmm. That is what you're supposed to do. It just seems so right. But for me, I'm a, I'm stubborn, man. I am a Taurus born in the year of the ox. You cannot get more stubborn. And I don't know if that's what it was, but, or if it was just the fact that, you know, I, I knew I still had my kids, even though they moved out. I don't know what it was. I tell my parents that it's, you know, I think that it's because I do believe in God in the afterlife. And it just does, seems pointless to kill myself because I'm just going to end up somewhere else. In fact, I was mad at God and my parents for a long time because, you know, 20 years ago, way, way before this, because I couldn't just not exist. That's all mm -hmm. I wanted. I just, you know, when I was in so much pain, I just wanted to not exist. But in this moment of clarity and peace and this solution staring me in the face, I had to find an anchor. And the anchor was my children, I think. But for some reason, I was able to take the time, slow my pace down before I got to the kitchen and tell myself a different story. And that's really what helps me get through is being able to tell myself a different story. To sit there and go, you know what? My brain lies to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm aware that my brain lies to me. So I have to have a different story. I have to have a different way of looking at it. And that's what I did that day. I, you know, I just said, you know what, that's, you're lying to me. This isn't right. And then all of a sudden all the pain came back and every, you know, all, every, all the pain, all that emotional pain, all that, the fog, foggy brain, everything came back. And I no longer was going to, it was no longer the clear answer. And that was the closest. Time. I mean, it's not the only time this has happened, but that's probably the closest time. The worst time when that happens is when I'm driving. And I oh, think, yeah. You have intrusive thoughts. And all of a sudden you're like, I can just turn left. Yeah. No, I'm coming traffic and it'll all go away. And, you know, I don't obviously, but because I'm still here, but at the worst times in my life, I mean, I've had those thoughts and it's mm -hmm. like, how do you get through them? How do you stop yourself from taking that action? And a lot of, you know, for me, it was why, what is the outcome that I'm, that I want when you're telling a story, you're thinking, okay, so why, 
why am I doing this? What is the purpose? What is the objective? So before you tell a story, you got to figure out what that objective is so that you can figure out what the outcome is so that you can figure out what you want your audience to feel and relate to and emotize. So when you're sitting there and you're in that moment, you're like, okay, so what, why am I doing this? Am I doing this because I want someone else to feel my pain? Mm -hmm. I've, I've had moments like that too, where, you know, you think, okay, I just want everyone else to feel as bad as I do. Yeah. But then you got to tell yourself, you know what, that's not how it works. You feel bad, but they'll feel bad, but they won't feel the same type of pain. They won't feel as bad as you do. And once you start understanding that and understanding that you are so into your own moment of pain and suffering, and you got to sit there and go, okay, do I really want that person to feel that pain? And it's a one-time thing. They'll feel pain once and then they'll move on with their life and mm. you won't, you know, you'll be done. Especially, I mean, if it's your parents, it's different, but if it's, you know, your husband or a friend or, you know, your boss or whatever other thing that's causing you pain at that moment, that's may cause them pain for a minute and then they're going to move on with your life. And if you can remind yourself of that in that moment, you can realize that you're not doing it for yourself. You're doing it to cause pain to someone else. It's probably not a good idea. And you can tell yourself a different story and find a different objective. What you do, you really want for your life. And one of the things I really learned in my journey and along my way was hope is a four letter word and you got to have a purpose. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so when I had my suicide attempt um, and the ideation that has come and gone many for years um i fortunately haven't had any ideation in in a while that's not to brag that's just the thankful the meds are working <laughs> the meds are working over here so i thought everybody would be better off without me mm -hmm. i have that, that yeah what how would you deal with that like in, when we're talking about the objective things like that how how would in how do you deal with it? How do you do the, uh, the road, <laughs> the trip? Okay, so it, when I have those moments where I think, you know, they don't want me around, I'd be better off without me. They don't need me. I start thinking, okay, we're going to have an arg I start taking the courtroom approach. Either I become prosecutor, defense and judge, and I've got to find the evidence of that idea. So what evidence do I have that makes that thought true? Is that a true thought or is that my brain lying to me? And so sometimes I do that where it's like, okay, well, why would they be better off with me they, without me? Well, they'd be better off without me because, and really I, so most of the times I can't think of it. Right. Right. Cause really there, there's nothing. And then I start telling myself a story. Well, they really aren't with you right now. They, if they're better off, they're already better off. Right. So your dying is not going to make them better. And usually I'm thinking of my kids, right? So I've got that anchor where I can think of my kids and go, okay, you know what? Their lives are better right now. And at some point they're going to want to pick up that phone again and say, Hey mom, am I, you know, one, one child likes to call a lot. The other child's more like me and mm -hmm. never calls. I mean, I am so bad at answering my phone. Like when I get to the point where I don't want to talk to anyone, 
and my parents are calling me. So right now, here's a story, right now, which my brother and sister Lauren supposed to know, right now I am in Whistler taking care of my brother's dog while they're off on a holiday or not at hockey hockey tournament. My parents live five hours away. It's beginning to snow here, okay? So my parents are calling me and I'm not answering the phone. One, because I, at, the first, at first I didn't really feel like it. Then my phone died and I didn't realize it. So then I plugged it in and it wasn't charging and I didn't realize it. But they were trying to call me and they were getting more and more worried. Worried to the point that they showed up on my door. Like at your house, not your brother's house? Oh my God. Five <laughs> hours away. And I felt terrible. You know, I felt so bad. So, you know, I try to think of things like that. Like where, where's the proof that my family hates me? There is no proof that they hate me. There's a lot of proof that they love me. You know, my son will call me and ask me for questions about any decisions he's making. My daughter and I, you know, we'll talk about things as well when I call her, but she's like me. She just, eh, I'll get to it. I'll get to it. And then, you know, time goes by before you get, (laughs) but it's not, I have to remind myself, it's not a slight against me. It is a personality trait that we both share. We get busy. We get busy and we need to have purposeful conversations, not just, Hey, how are you doing? Not, Mm. Not those check-in conversations to say, hey, what did you have for breakfast this morning? We don't like those conversations. <laughs> the small talk. I don't small like it either. Talk, right? Which is, I, I, you know what, I have a lot of pro- I have a hard, hard time because you meet someone new, you know, I walk the dog, I meet someone new, we start having small talk. And then before you know it, I've said something dumb because I've gone from <laughs> the small talk and they're looking at me going, okay, that's too much information. <laughs> and it's not, it's not anything horrible. It's just, Something I'm thinking about, whether it's the India or the Israeli-Palestinian dispute mm. or uh, climate change or, uh, you know, how we tell our stories and how we can develop or the struggles that I'm having with work, you know, anything like that can be on my mind. And I'll just share it without thinking that that person doesn't know me well enough to feel comfortable with me sharing my thoughts on that topic. Um it's 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 because I don't like talking about the weather. It's it seems like such a pointless, unproductive thing to do. But I have to remember, you know what? You got to make those connections in the world. And when you make connections in the world, it has to start with small talk. And when we feel suicidal, it's because we feel disconnected from the world. Mm. We don't feel connected enough to someone to have that tether to the world to say, look, there's someone important enough out there that is going to keep me rooted in today's world. Um, so it's important to feel like you have someone that it matters. So even when you say, are thinking, I don't matter, it's not gonna matter if I'm gone, they're gonna be better off without me. You have to understand that you have a connection to someone that yes, it is gonna matter. And if you aren't there, what is that gonna mean for them? You have to figure out that story ahead of time So if you write that story out, if you know that that's a trigger in your head and that's going to happen in your brain, you have to write out, my life is important to my son because he needs me when this happens. 
my daughter needs me when this happens. They contact me when this happens. My parents worry about me because they love me. And you start writing these stories and giving yourself that evidence by getting really specific. Write down a story about a time when they really did do something that showed that you were important to them. Like the story I told you about my parents showing up on my doorstep because they couldn't get a hold of me. Having that story in my mind enables me to have the evidence that my brain is lying to me when they say my parents would be better off without me because I can then go, well, if they are, why would they show up when they couldn't get a hold of me? Right. Yeah. Um, I had a thought bubble and it, it disappeared. No, you're fine. <laughs> um, oh, I'm a good Canadian girl. I say sorry for everything. <laughs> oh, I know. I do too. So where I'm from is uh, Northern New York, like Canada. I tell people, they're like, oh, let me guess. Buffalo, <laughs> no, keep going. People will be like, Syracuse, no, keep going. They're like, what is higher than Syracuse? And I'm like, Syracuse is like three hours from the Canadian border, y'all. Like, that's still the ways down in New York. Yeah. And I'm like, Canada. I'm from Canada. Basically, like 30 minutes from the Canadian border, like Cornwall, like the bridge that goes from in Cornwall. Um, so, like, I understand. I, I do it, too. I'm always saying sorry. I, I you know, it's in a <laughs> my grandfather's canadian. canadian yeah my grandfather's canadian we're so close to the border that it just kind of like mingles over yeah um, my family my family's from medina new york and um my grandmother was born there and that's where they came from so i know how close it is yeah yeah so like I don't know where Medina is, honestly. Uh, it's so if you're looking at Niagara Falls. Okay. When I was, say Canada, everybody thinks I'm talking about Niagara Falls. And I'm like, no, the tippy top of New York. Like you go up and around the bend and it's yeah. the very top. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, but what I mean is it's like you said from Medina, New York, which is really close to the Canadian border because it's right yeah. around Niagara. And um you know, when you look back at your history and where your family comes from, you know, there's a lot of my family was some of them were in New York, but they married people from Canada. Ah, right. See, the so, opposite happened for my grandfather. He's from Canada, married somebody from New York. <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot. Well, there, there's a lot of both sides. Like some mm -hmm. of my family went from New York to to Paris, Ontario. And then for Brantford, Ontario, and then the rest, there's a lot that were from that area that went down to Medina. Um, yeah, no, I mean, my family been in, I, I, I've done the genealogy th thing. So I go back seven to 1700s. So I can see all these wow. over the border marriages happening on a regular yeah. basis. I mean, it's just so close, right? And a or lot so of Canadians come where I'm from. A lot of New Yorkers go to Canada. It's kind of hard not to meet people when you're doing that. That's right. 
Yeah. So back to you. <laughs> now that we've talked about genealogy and everybody can learn all about that. And uh, my brain fart I had because I was just like not I was just like my mind just went blank. And I'm like, what what the hell is happening? So what I wanted to ask you was, was this self-taught or did you learn it through a therapist? Um, you know, I did go to therapy, but I don't know what it is about me. Whenever I'm talking about myself or talking to someone else or in a therapy situation, I get really strong. And all of that weakness and all that pain and everything kind of gets slammed behind a door and they can't access it because Mm. I come across as very confident, very strong, very capable, resilient. Um, And I don't talk about those things because at the moment I'm not feeling them. I'm not, they're not real. They're only real in those times of when I'm alone Mm. and I'm alone 99.9% of the time I'm single. I work on, I work alone. This is the one reason why my parents showed up because I'm alone so much and they worry when they can't get a hold of me. The, the thing is though, when you're in those moments, you, you know, I read about CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. And then there's DBT. And my therapist suggested I get this workbook. And I went through it. I didn't do a lot of the exercises. But as I understood what was happening in my brain, I was able to go, ah, okay, I get it. I'm telling myself one story. I need to have other stories in my toolbox. So when these bad thoughts come up, I can go, really, brain? Because... I got evidence over here that says you're wrong. Hmm. And then that can help me move forward. You know, I always thought those affirmations were BS. (laughs) Yeah, I did too. (laughs) You want me to sit there and say, I am worth it. Or I am good enough. And you want me to write that on a wall and have all that. One day I did it. And within two days, I was like a different attitude, a different person. And I could not believe it. And all it was, was putting it on a wall where I could see it every, every day I woke up. I didn't even repeat it to myself. I just saw it. And that was enough for me to go, Oh, but it also was really good because what my therapist did was she repeated what she saw in me. Mm. She saw someone who was capable, who was strategic, who was patient, who was smart, who had control of her life and knew what she wanted and was was able to get it. These are not messages I received growing up. Mm. These were definitely not marriages that I had in my abusive marriage. And these are not always messages I get from my, my children because they're children. I mean, it's a different relationship. When you're a child, the child to a parent, it's a different relationship than parent to child. Right. Right. So you never really understand your parents until you have kids of your own. And then you understand, oh, this is what it feels like to be to love somebody this much. You think that you love your parents, but it's nothing like what you love for your children. And understanding that was a really, you know, understanding that and having a story around it and uh, that I've written out. That I have proof that I that these things that came out of me matter to me. And they're, you know, how they feel matter to me more than how I feel. 
more than my own happiness. Their happiness matters more. And just having those stories and reminding myself that as a mother, it's still my responsibility to show up, to be there Mm -hmm. when they need me. It's not their responsibility to be there for me. And that's a really hard thing because when you're, you love your children so much and you just want them to love you too. Mm -hmm. But at some point they grow up and they move away. You know, I used to have such a hard time putting my children to bed at night because I knew that the child that I had interacted with that night, that day was basically, I was putting that child to bed. That child was going to die and wake up a totally not a totally different kid, but a different, different, mm-hmm. learn something new. He was going to interact with me differently. The day that I, the day that I spend with him is gone. I can't get it back. That's a death knowing that every day is going to be new and different is exciting, but you, you have to grieve the, the tod- the baby, the toddler, the preschooler, the elementary school, the, you know, you go through these moments with your children. They're natural. But when you're alone and you're thinking back on those memories and it's painful because it is like, you can't get it back. It's grief. It's death. It's, mm. and you're, and you're alone in your apartment because your children have grown up to adulthood and moved out like they should have. And you're right. looking at the pictures of them when they were young and you're remembering how wonderful it was being with them and you can't get that back. You got to go through that grief. You got to understand it's a process, it's a journey. And you have those memories. For a long time, I couldn't even think of my memory. Right. Um, I have an adult child. The rest of mine are teens. Well, one, two preteens, they're twins and a teenager. But my oldest is 20. And like, right, right now, she's going through some shit. I'm like, there's not, I can't, I, I can't fix this for you. Like, mm-hmm. this is not fixable. This is not a situation that I can come in and and fix it. I've tried to help. I've I've offered, like, for her to stay with us and everything like that. She doesn't want that. She doesn't want to come stay with me. Um, <laughs> she wants to be an adult and she wants to be on her own and do her own things. And it's so hard to sit there and watch your child go through things and you can't do anything about it. Little kids, little problems. Big kids, big problems. Yes. Yes, and definitely. It's so hard to watch your child not get what they want. Yes. Or get what they thought they wanted and then they don't want it anymore. <laughs> yeah, that that too. That too. It's funny. My daughter knows how to get what she wants. And it's amazing to watch her. And I, I, I just love that she has that that capability. She knows what she wants. And then she goes and finds out how to get it. Um, my son struggles with that, like me struggles with that a bit, but he has a totally different superpower where things just seem to work out. Like he has, people give him a break, people give him jobs, people give him opportunities because he's so full of energy and Mm -hmm. has this personality that people want to be around. So, you know, my daughter looks at my son and goes, well, the cop will pull him over, not give him a speeding ticket, but give me a speeding ticket. Right. So, so everything and my, my son looks at my daughter and goes well whatever she wants she just it just comes it just gets people tell her she can't it can't she can't do that and she does it 
I can't do that. And, you know, reminding them both that they have something that they're jealous of in each other Mm. can remind them that, oh, you know what, you guys, she wants this, you want that. And um, I have kids that are really close, you know, they're best friends. And it's amazing to watch them. Yeah, that is amazing. I, I'm a little sad that there's, oh crap, there's seven, seven years between my oldest daughter and my middle daughter. And there's only like two between my middle daughter and the twins. Um, so my oldest daughter never had that to be able to be close to her siblings where the other ones right now, my middle daughter is like at that age where she's like, eh, I don't want to deal with preteens. They're not yeah. mature like me, yeah. um, but I'm like, they're so close in age that just wait until the preteens are just a little older. And then they're all going to be, you know, like in the same range of maturity and, and be hanging out. And so I love that I have those three that are close in age, because that makes it a lot easier for them to get along. But the the oldest one, she was on her own. Like she was much older than the rest. So yeah, it's nice. It's nice when you have kids that are, are kind of close together in age because it makes it easier for them to, to bond. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of, you know, it was hard to ensure that there was no conflict. Mm. You know, my kids (laughs) and my aunt at one time said, okay, you've got calm kids, calm dog, your kids, never fight how did how did you do that like just are you an alien like are they aliens (laughs) (laughs) but it was a lot of reminding them that they loved each other and what did love Mm -hmm. mean what did it mean to accept them for each for who they were and you know it was easy when they were little because when they were little and they would start getting antsy with each other I I would either put them in different rooms so they could have some alone time and then they come back and be great friends or I'd say okay you guys want to fight great First, you got to say, I love you, give each other a hug, say, I love you. And then you can fight till your heart's content. Never fun. <laughs> That's so cute. I wish I could say the same here. Uh, <laughs> the twins are at each other's throat all the time. And I think it's because they are the exact same age, exact same age. And they are going through the same thing, but different. Yeah. And, they, and, and I have to explain, like, you are not the same person what happens to one is not going to be the same as what happens to it at the other. Like they are completely different personalities. And so sometimes I just have to be like, okay, come on. You all do love each other. Just, just come on. So I have a, it takes effort. Like don't get me wrong. It takes effort. So when one child is struggling to understand the other or thinks that the other should understand them because they, you know, we're all like that. We think everyone feels and thinks exactly the same. We, way we do and what happens in our lives happens in everyone else's lives but it's not that way so knowing the questions to ask to guide them through understanding the reality of the situation and drawing the story out for them and then asking them questions to help them understand what the other person is thinking and feeling is really helpful you know i would sit down with my kids and i would ask them questions about okay so how does that feel well your brother didn't, this didn't happen, you know, to this person. What do you think they're thinking? How do they think they feel? What do you want to happen? You're mad at this person. What do you want to happen? What do you want the outcome to be? 
and then sometimes they would have an outcome that made sense and sometimes they wouldn't you know I used to uh when my, my daughter was young I was the, the, the class parent and yeah. their grade two teacher really was struggling just really struggling with these kids because she came from a inner city school oh. to an urban school and you think of that she was thinking okay this is gonna be easy this is gonna be you know I went from kids that had real problems to these kids and stuff suburbia well because the parents are so involved she was having a mm. lot of trouble dealing with the interactions of these children and so I spent a lot of time in the classroom and one day the kid is running to the teachers and saying Mrs. whatever her name was Mrs. 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 and I said whoa wait I don't remember his name but Jake what's wrong well Josh spilled all the pencil crayons okay so why are you going to tell the teacher well because he smelt all the pencil crayons. Why, why, what do you want the teacher to do? Uh, do you want Josh to get in trouble? Well, no. So wouldn't helping him pick up pencil crayons be the best thing to do? Yeah, and he turned around and went and did that. So it's, it's you know, that is really a simple thing with when they're little, it's really easy because the problem is really, simple small yeah small and not really this emotional thing when, when they get to teenagers it gets a lot harder yes. but at the same time you are able to say look was that person there with you did they experience it the same way have they has that ever happened to them how do they know how that feels if that hasn't happened to them now do you love that person and then I'm teaching them what love means. And love isn't um, what you get. You mm -hmm. love somebody regardless of their behavior. You love somebody for who they are, not who you want them to be. And teaching them that was really, I think, the, um, it really helped solidify their relationship. Because yes, they do get frustrated with certain things about each other. I mean, they when they moved out, they live together wow right and they continued to live together until my daughter went to uvic and my son went to ubc so and even now they they get together they holiday together my um my daughter's boyfriend actually just loves my son it's and emily and my son's girlfriend and my daughter kennedy they get along so they have this really great dynamic and I think that comes from understanding that you have to love somebody for who they are and not who mm -hmm. they want them to be. Um, plus watching my marriage or their parents not love each other, I think really showed them, um, showed them what love is not. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. My, uh, my daughter keeps telling my son, those are the twins that you know when it, when you get we get older you can come live with me you can come live with me and you can sleep on my couch 
<laughs> like, I'm not sure if he's going to want to live with you and sleep on your couch. So yeah. Um, so before we wrap up the podcast today, I wanted to ask you, and I've been meaning to ask you, and then we get on tangents, which always happens. It yeah. always happens. Every podcast episode, it goes down a different, and I'm, I'm here for it. I'm here for the ride. I always say that, like, it may start one area and then we go a different area. But I wanted to ask if your family knows about the struggles if that has something to do with maybe why your parents came to your house or if your kids know who if they know do they know and how do they react to that if they know yes they know um they didn't know for most of my life but as my as my life as i lost control of my life Mm. as i lost control of my money as i lost control of decisions and i started not mattering um, and then losing my marriage, losing my home, losing my middle class lifestyle, losing my job, losing right. my ability to get employed, you know, lose, you know, I, I just kept losing and losing and losing. And, um, you know, my parents knew that I was on antidepressants. So I think that was, that helped knowing that I was already there, uh, but having that conversation with my mom was hard. Mm. You know, this is this is when I was a when I was younger, or when I'm you know when I had the kids, and I was really mad at you for, for having me, and I was mad at God for creating me, and I just because I didn't want to exist. But knowing that I would step into something keeps me from actually taking that step. And I told her that, you know, like because I knew that they were scared after as they saw me go down and down and down. And then having the conversation around, um, you know, how I make it through, how I keep making it through helps. I mean, we, we, we have some, some laughs sometimes, like one time we're on the phone and the ambulance or firefighters and ambulance, you know, I live downtown Vancouver. So they all came to my, my apartment and my mom goes, you're not standing on the ledge, are you? <laughs> no. <laughs> you know, like just kind of laughing a bit but yeah they do and my kids even know that I've struggled my daughter actually it was a really bad thing because my daughter was scared that if she moved out or left that I would kill myself and Mm. that was a real worry for her but for herself and her own mental health and her own mental you know because I was in such a bad place at the time she had to step out she had to leave and go um and I understand that you know, it's, it's not that I was a bad mom. Like she'll tell you, I wasn't a bad mom. Right. I was, I was just struggling because all life was doing was taking things away from me. And I didn't feel safe. She, I didn't, I was struggling. I was so in my own world that I wasn't, a mom. I wasn't being a parent. Mm. And I think that was a problem. And no, I know that was a problem. I know that was a problem. Like I was providing for her. I was driving her around. I was doing what needed to be done on the parenting thing. But I was so focused on trying to find someone to love me, trying to find a job, trying to find that I wasn't focused enough on how my loss, my pain was affecting her. Hmm. And she needs stability. It's her personality. My son, he's like, mom, you're the best, best parent ever. Because all you did was, you know, you were there you kind of corralled me it was like corralling wild cats 
that's what he was like. And he goes, you know, that's what I needed. I didn't need a strict parent to tell me this, 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 because I would have totally rebelled. When I was in trouble in the middle of the night, you said, you just showed up, you picked me up, you brought me home. You didn't say anything. You were the, for me, you were the best parent. But for my daughter, my daughter needed that structure. My daughter needed that person that with all the rules and the, and the boundaries and, and stuff. And I just wasn't able to give her what she needed at that mm. time. Yeah. Um, but she'll still say I'm a good mom and she loves me. And um, things were, you know, I was there when she needed me. Like whenever she called, I was there. Um, but she had her big brother and he made her feel safe and he made her uh, feel like, plus my ex-husband said, Hey, you go live with your brother. I'll give you the child support. Wow. You know, because he was giving, you know, so <laughs> a kid isn't going to take that. Right. Right. Like, I mean, I don't know how much it was, but sometimes that can be a, a lot of money. Well, when he said he would give her the child support, he meant he'd give her the child support that he wanted to give. I had already oh. taken him to court to get all the back child support. So this was his way of regaining the price that he wanted to pay and not the price that the government said he had to pay. Gotcha. Well, Shannon, as we wrap up the podcast today, um, which I'm sure, like I say, for most episodes, we could probably talk all day about parents. We just touched the tip of the iceberg. Um, What would you like to leave the Inspired Women audience with? Well, you know, I, now that I've gone through all that and I'm stronger and I'm on the other side and I'm rebuilding, you know, my son and I have an amazing relationship. I'm rebuilding my relationship with my daughter. But what I do nowadays is I help people who are struggling with the lies that their mind tells them, the stories that they tell themselves. Mm -hmm. And I help them to really look at those and say, okay, you need to reframe your story. You are a victim in your story, but you're not a victim. How can we rewrite what you're saying to yourself so you're no longer the victim and you are now the hero? And we talk about how hero behaves, what a hero talks about, how he sounds, the decisions that they make and what they value. And we talk about what the victim and the viewer and the villain, because we are all these things in our stories and in the mm. stories that people tell about us. So we can be the hero in our story, but we're the villain in someone else's story. Right. But all those people that, I mean, when you are in that suicidal thing, when you are in that mental, that difficult place, and you're thinking the world's happening to you, and this happened to you, and that happened to you, when you're coming at it as a victim, you just attract more of what you don't want. Not because of the law of attraction, you know, that whole thing, which I, <laughs> we're not going to talk about that, but because of the way you talk about yourself, the way that you tell people who you are, you're not realizing that what they're not seeing, you're just hoping that they're going to see this, this strong, wonderful person, but you're telling them that you're this broken, weak person. They're not going to turn around and tell you what you want to hear. Right. You've told them who you are. They're not going to question that. So you, 
I help people to reframe that, to rechange the way that they talk about themselves, to change the way that they see how, what happened to them and reframe the whole thing so that they can come out of it stronger, more confident, capable. And so the world will see them that way. And then opportunities will, will come to them and they'll change their life. That's, you know, that's a piece of what I do. And I think that, you know, when you do that, you do the work to really see, okay, how, what camp am I in? How am I casting myself in this story? You can understand, you know, you can change your life just by changing your objective. Wow. That's really powerful. Especially the the part about like, we're all the things because we are, I mean, especially when you think about other people's perspectives, right? They see us differently and not always the best, but Anyways, Shannon, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Thank you for having me and talking about this important, important topic. And hopefully I gave some people some tips and some thoughts and maybe those people that know someone that is struggling can have a better understanding about what's going on in their minds. Mm. Thank you for tuning in with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us a rating or review. Follow us on social media at Inspired Women Podcast, both on Facebook and Instagram. And don't forget to join our Facebook group, The Inspired Women Podcast.